For those of you listening to the recording, Gwen Casanova, Gwendolyn by name, just rebuked me publicly for not, allow, not allowing you to hear my concern. For those of you who are not here, I understand people are sick and whatever. We got that. But so many are not here for one reason. What is it? Say it again. Lazy. Lazy. Yeah, I see Mike Roberts here. I've got to not do this because I'll, I have a big class today of information. I see Mike Roberts here. Thank you for being here. Betty used to come broken down, hurting, miserable, almost couldn't move, but she came because the Word of God was more important to her than her own physical abilities. Amen? Amen? Donnie's in the back there, almost can't walk. Raise your hand. He will squirm in whatever, all class, because his back is so bad. Yet the man is here because the Word of God is more important to him than his comfort. Thank God for people like that. Brenda Tullis is here next door, coming in here many times, suffering, and there are others. Thank you for honoring God, not Peter Davidson. It has nothing to do with Peter Davidson. Who is he? Nothing. It has everything to do with honoring God. This morning we're continuing. Chapter 27, verse 26. We're moving along like lightning. And here's the part of the verse that I want to begin with. Having scourged Jesus. By the way, do you know what scourging means? That's the whipping with the cat of nine tails 39 times. That's the beating. Okay. Having scourged Jesus, Pilate delivered him to be crucified. Now, as we look at the cross of Christ, as we anticipate, and I think next week, we're going to be reading a compilation of all four Gospels, the account of the cross. I think that's what we're doing next week. I think it is. <clears throat> As we look at the cross of Christ, we need to see the cross and read the account of the cross within the context of God's primary purpose for the cross. God's primary purpose and then the other issues that come forth out of the meeting of that primary purpose. Some of this is not in your notes. I changed some of these things. I just felt a little different direction here and there. All sin requires or demands one of two events or results. All sin requires one of two results. If you don't know what they are, write them down. Every time a sin is committed, one of two, not both, one of two must result. Either there will be satisfaction or there will be punishment. This is extremely important to understand so that as we get this, we know what God is doing in the cross in a much greater way and we can receive it more applicably to ourselves. Every time we sin, every sin ever has been and will be committed will always result in one of 
two results. What are they? Either what? Satisfaction or punishment. Okay. As to punishment, every sin must be punished by God. Why? Because you see, God is in himself righteous. He is in himself just. And when sin, which is disobedience, occurs, if God is going to be faithful to himself and not deny himself, because it is impossible for God to be other than who he is. Do you do understand that? God cannot remain God and deny his own essence and function disconnectedly from his own character. He is bound by his own character. God cannot do anything apart or contrary to his own character. Yes, there are things that God cannot do. <clears throat> he cannot act contrary to his own character. And so because God is just, when sin is committed, God must punish sin. There's teaching out there. In fact, I saw something the other day where this fool, I'll call him a fool, says that the punishment of Christ on the behalf of, you know, a, a punishment of Christ for our sins on our behalf is absolute heretical, that God would never do that, that God is a God of love and etc. It is because of God's holy and just love that he must punish anything and everything which is contrary to that love. Amen? Do we see that? It is the love of God. It is the holiness of God, the justice of God, the, the whatever, all of God's attributes working in concert that must deal with sin. So there must be punishment if he's going to remain faithful to himself. But as to satisfaction, remember I said there are always two ways. I mean, sorry, one of two ways. Satisfaction, punishment. As to satisfaction, <clears throat> God, however, if he desires to have fellowship with his people, if he desires to have fellowship with his people, in order to have fellowship with his people, his justice must be satisfied. Do we get that? This is critical. This is the essence of the cross. It is the satisfaction of God's holiness, of God's holy justice. It is the outpouring upon the Lord Jesus because of our sin so that we can be saved from the wrath of God. And so the justice must be satisfied. It either has to be poured out as a satisfaction upon the sinners, or it must be poured out upon a substitute who as a man and for his people collected in him that God pours out his just wrath upon this one man so that his justice is fully satisfied in the death of this one man who represents and in whom are all his people as he is experiencing the poured out wrath of God in order for God's justice to be satisfied. 
Yes, ma'am. You had a question? <laughs> Loud. Yes. Well, I'm trying to differentiate between the two. They're all both. Yes, I, I agree. But we're differentiating toward the sinner. It must be punishment. Toward the one in Christ, it must be satisfaction as a result of the satisfactory, satisfactory death of Christ. Punishment is always a result of sin. But the punishment either inflicted on the sinner or the punishment inflicted on the representative, therefore God's justice toward us is satisfied in the death of Christ. Do we see that? <clears throat> and so only in this way can God's eternal plan for Genesis 1, through 28 be fulfilled. <clears throat> the moment Jesus said, let there be light, He embraced, even before then, but he embraced in a time-creative sense, the cross. Do you, do you see that? The moment creation began, this one knew ahead of time, but in a time-creative sense, he embraced the cross, knowing that Adam would sin. And that Jesus, the creator, would have to pay, for the pay the penalty for the death of his people, for the sin of his people, so that his people could have fellowship with God according to the Father's eternal purpose. There was no other way. God bound himself to this by the free choice of his own character and his will. He wasn't bound by anything external, but only to himself. And so, as we move toward looking at the crucifixion of Jesus, I want to do so looking at four eternal consequences of sin that are dealt with at the cross. There are four eternal consequences of sin that are dealt with at the cross. And I think it's, I wasn't going to do this. This was not on my radar until I felt the Lord do it last week. And so, we move forward. And give me your analogy. You're going to go into the Grand Canyon. Now, what is probably instructive and helpful is that you do some background reading and investigation, and you have some kind of a concept, some, something in your mind about this Grand Canyon. Are you with me? So that as you go through it, what? You can connect it to an overview. Are you with me on this? And it makes then the experience of the Grand Canyon more satisfying and a better educative activity. Oh, that's what that, yeah, because of that. I see how that works and all. Rather than going, look at that, look at that, look at that. And then you left. And what do you see? You just saw a bunch of things out. So we want to see the cross within a, the view of God's work at the cross under the umbrella of God dealing with the four major Maybe only, but at least four eternal consequences of sin. The first one is <clears throat> propitiation. Propitiation. Now, you have to be careful how you say that because your teeth, if they're loose, you'll spit all over somebody. Propitiation. It's easy to say, propitiation. You know, it's, it's not a difficult word. Some people say, propitiation, you know, whatever. Okay. Propitiation simply means the averting or putting away of God's wrath that is due to sin through the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ. 
Propitiation is the averting or the assuagement or the putting away or the satisfying of the wrath of God, which is justly due to the sinner. Do we get that now? Everybody knows what propitiation means. It simply means dealing with the wrath of God in such a way that it is satisfied. It has been completely poured out. The penalty has been completely paid. Propitiation. Humanity's greatest problem is that we're all under the wrath of God. That's our greatest problem. Romans 1.18. For the wrath of God is revealed against all unrighteousness and ungodliness of men. And so if someone were to ask you, what is humanity's biggest problem? It's the wrath of God. Everyone born into the world is by nature children of what? Wrath. I, I just quoted somewhere. What, who said that? Paul said that to whom? We are by, uh, by nature children of wrath. Do you remember where he said that? Come on, someone raise your hand. You know where he said that. Nature, did, isn't it right? Didn't I say it right? Children of wrath, isn't it? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3. Is it that? Or did I miss it? Help me. I see no hands. Maybe I'm missing it. And I could have. I missed things. This means that the wrath of God is the issue most to be feared. Listen to what Jesus says. Because, you know, Jesus is understood as the God of love. The Old Testament God, he's a little dangerous. But Jesus comes along and really kind of balances the Old Testament God off. That's how people think. I've actually been to Bible studies where that kind of foolishness has been taught. And Jesus says this in Luke 12, 5. I will show you whom you should fear. You want to fear somebody? He says, fear him. Whom is he talking about? God. God the Father who after killing the body has power to throw you into heck. Throw you into heck. Throw you into hell. You see, hell is a very viable and necessary doctrine. And today, too many believers shy away when we share the gospel about talking about hell because we don't want to offend or scare anyone. And that's hell teaching. We need to trust the Holy Spirit's work of birthing someone into the kingdom rather than the way we say and what we say as the issue. It's the Holy Spirit who says, not what I share. And simply put, Hell is a major doctrinal issue in the Bible. It is the location of every unbeliever. And so we must share what is in store for folks who are not receiving of the gospel. And so as a result, our greatest need is to Escape the wrath of God. To have the wrath averted from us, put away from us. So when does this happen? This happens at the cross. The primary work of God in Christ at the cross is propitiatory. The primary work of Christ at the cross 
is assuaging or putting away <clears throat> or satisfying the justice of God due to us through the pouring out of his wrath. That's the primary work of the cross. If that work isn't first accomplished, nothing is accomplished at the cross for our benefit and our blessing. Let me take a moment out. So when thinking about the cross, <coughs> the primary, sorry, this happens sometimes when you have an old radiator. I'm drinking water for those of you who are watching by video. So when thinking about the cross, <coughs> what comes to mind first when you think about the death of Jesus? Does something about you come to mind or does something about God come to mind? The first thing that comes to mind when we think about Jesus or talk about the cross, think about the cross, should be God. Are you with me? That's the first thing. We are weakened spiritually if we think first and maybe even foremost about how we benefited from the cross. The primary beneficiary at the cross is God the Father. May I repeat that? The primary beneficiary at the cross is God the Father whose will and purpose in having a people according to his own image is accomplished through the propitiatory death of his son. He is the primary beneficiary. And then Jesus, if you would, is the secondary beneficiary, and we are the tertiary beneficiaries. So from now on, and when we look at the the, uh, the text about the cross, or you're in a discussion about it, keep in mind this event is about God primarily because if this does not happen, the Father's eternal will will not and cannot be accomplished. This is about the love of the Father for the Son as displayed in the giving of the life of the Son who loves the Father for us. Now, if you didn't get that, go back and listen to it because I can't repeat it. It's not in my notes. And so, the beloved Son of the Father, as a man and for all men, when I say for all men, I'm talking about men and women in the church, men and women in the body of Christ, men and women who are his people. <clears throat> The beloved son as a man and for us becomes one who the one who takes our guilt upon himself to propitiate the wrath of God through his substitutionary death. Romans 5, uh, 5, 9. Being justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved from the wrath of God. I think I have five or four, the four uh, references in your Bible where propitiation is mentioned. Now, if you have a new international version Bible, get another one. Get a Bible 
that uses the word propitiation. Does ESV use it? Well, I don't know if it uses it. I know New, it does, and New American Standard use it. Those are the two that we would recommend, those two Bibles. New American Standard or, what's the other one? ESV, English Standard Version. Now, there's nothing wrong with atoning sacrifices, others call it. I just like the word propitiation, and then others just abuse the word totally. But there are four places where Jesus is called the propitiation, the propitiator in his blood of the wrath of God. By the way, this is pictured, remember, in Leviticus 15, uh, 16. On the Day of Atonement, what happens? Remember, we went through all this, so all of you should know the answer. The high priest, first for himself and then for the people, does what? There are two goats. Do you remember this? There are two sacrifices, two animals, rather, to be sacrificed. The one goat, which is decided by lot, not the personal lot, has the throat cut, the blood spilled, and with the blood, the high priest once a year enters the Holy of Holies where the presence of God is manifested and throws the blood onto the altar, remember? Seven times. And then he returns. And when he returns, that's the propitiation. That's the satisfying or the putting away or the putting off or the averting of the wrath of God upon the people for their sin for another year. It doesn't satisfy really the wrath of God, but it anticipates the satisfaction of the wrath of God, which will happen by the high priest as he makes the sacrifice on the cross. And all of those days of atonement and all of those sacrifices are gathered up into this one man who accomplishes all of it for those people and for those who will come. That happens at the cross. And so you see in Leviticus 16, 15, the high priest shall kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people and bring its blood inside the veil. In other words, into the Holy of Holies. And so as a result, Jesus vicarious. You know what vicarious means? Represented instead of. He died instead of me dying. Jesus vicarious, propitiating death. Because of that, then the next three consequences of sin are accomplished. Without the first, the next three cannot be accomplished. Because the first is accomplished, therefore that guarantees the next three. Do we see that? Without the first, you don't have the next three. Because of the first, you not only have the next three, but the next three are what? Guaranteed. Now again, why are we saying this? Because I, I just felt it was the Lord's will for us to see the cross in a much more expansive way as we walk under the umbrella of what is going on so when we look at the activities of the cross, we can keep in mind what God is doing here, what God is doing, what Jesus is doing here for the Father, which then benefits us through the obedience of the Son. So because of propitiation, the next word is what? Expiation. Expiation. <clears throat> it means the removal of. The removal of. 
propitiation averts the wrath. Because the wrath of God is justly paid for at the cross in the body of Jesus, therefore the sin of his people then can be removed from them. Having already been put on Christ, he bore our sin, carried it to the cross, paid the full penalty. Now, because of that, God, if you would, removes it from the ledger of our lives. So in Jesus, our sins were literally paid for, literally paid for, one at a time, if you would. So that now, having averted the wrath of God, now God sees us in a new way. Because our sins have been, av sorry, have been removed. Because of God's wrath is propitiated the cross, our sin is expiated. It is removed from his presence as he declares us not guilty. Remember in Jeremiah 31, 34? Remember what that says? Their lawless deeds or their sins, what? I will remember no more against them. Remember, it's not just remembering God can't remember. We've heard sermons like that. God can't remember anything you do because you're in Jesus. And oh, it's foolish. It's silly. Silly. The word doesn't mean that. It remembers against you. In other words, he does not, and in fact, he cannot hold any sin of a believer in Christ against us in a punitive way. May I repeat that? <clears throat> in a punitive way. He deals with those sins in a dis disciplining, corrective way, adjusting way, but no longer in a punitive way. Why? Because God's only way of punishing is the wrath it is hell do we have that so when you and i sin god cannot punish us why why propitiated he can't punish you he can discipline he can correct he can adjust he can bring natural spiritual consequences to bear but he can't punish us because the punishment the soul that sinneth will die and that doesn't mean just a physical death it means die in hell forever do we see that class there are too many believers still walking around under the burden that when I sin that God's gonna get me may I say it again God's already gotten you, but in Christ. Can you get it? God has already gotten you. Do you know what I mean by that, Patsy? I got you. God has already gotten us. But where, Chris? In his son. When? At the cross. At the cross. Where I first saw the light and the burden of my heart rolled away. At the cross. At the cross. Ephesians 1, in the death of Christ, we have the forgiveness of our sins. How many of our sins have been paid for in the cross? <laughs> if even one sin is not paid for, you will die. You will die in your sins. Jesus says, if you do not believe that I am, you will die in your sins, he told the Pharisees in John's gospel. 
How many of our sins were included in the cross? How many? Do you believe it though? So then, as a believer, when I sin, is the issue any longer an issue of forgiveness? No. No. Why? Colossians 2.13, having forgiven all. 1 John 1.7, for the blood of Jesus, God's Son, what? Cleanses us from all. You see, what we need to be making sure of is that we allow the Holy Spirit through the use of His Word to free us from being fearful of that which we do not need to fear in order, in order to, so we're not under bondage anymore to Satan and sin and the flesh so that we can be truly freed in this area <clears throat> in order to now truly believe and walk in faith. You see, our sin has been removed, so Remember that goat in Leviticus 16 that has the throat cut in verse 15 and then in verse 22 of Leviticus 16, look what it says. The goat, this is a second goat, there's another goat, shall bear all the iniquities. Look at that. Look at that verse. Darlene, whom is that verse essentially talking about? Jesus bearing all our iniquity. Do you see it? 1622 of Leviticus. The importance of the Old Testament is unbelievable. Don't fall for Andy Stanley's stupidity in this, where he writes off the Old Testament. Foolishness. It's crazy. Don't listen to people like that. This goat, this animal, having not sinned, bears all the iniquities of the people on itself to a remote area and then is cast into the wilderness. So the word says your sins have been removed from what? As far as the <clears throat> east is from the west. God has cast them away from his holding them against us. And in Christ, our sins have been cast away. When he paid for them to be cast away from the punitive justice of God. Therefore, allowing the grace of God's mercy and love to flow to us. And how did the sins get upon that goat. You remember in the previous verse, the high priest lays his hands and bears himself against that goat confessing the sins of the people so that judicially, listen, judicial, does, does a goat become an actual sinner? Does it, does it ever remain innocent? Are you with me? Yes or no? Does a goat remain innocent of sin in itself? in its own character, but it becomes judicially bearing or carrying responsible for it, correct? You can be judicially declared guilty and not be guilty. Can that happen? Well, certainly it can happen. It happens all the time. And so when 
the, the, the word says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf. <clears throat> it doesn't mean, as Kenneth Copeland foolishly and wrongly and heretically says, Jesus became a sinner. It's a lie. Satan is preaching through these people. I just want to say it very calmly. Satan is preaching that message. Don't be deceived. Jesus was the innocent one upon whom the sins of all his people were what? Placed judicially because he represented us, having created us, being the eternal son of God. So as a Jehovah's Witness person, a created being, he could never have taken the eternal wrath of God and represented us. Therefore, the Jehovah's Witness Jesus does not save. You see why Satan does these things. And then the goat with all that weight of judicial sin is sent away. Never to return and dies in the wilderness as Jesus died on the cross. Amen. And when he died, all the guilt and the punishment of the sin died with him. Can you say amen? The next two. Having paid the price. Resulting in the removal of our sin from us. As to its guilt. Listen to what I just said. As to its guilt, not to its presence and power. Because sin is still in us and it still is powerful in us. Amen? But as to its guilt, it has been removed. Having that happen, we are now reconciled. Reconciliation. We are restored to our original, God's original intention for us as exclaimed in Genesis 1, 26 through 28. Everything is about that verse. If it weren't for that verse, none of this would be on the books. <laughs> none of this would be on the books if it weren't for Genesis 1, 26 to 28. Right, Todd? None of it would be on the books. If God hadn't created us to be in his own image, what's going on? And so we're restored to God's original intention of being one in fellowship with Him. Ephesians 2.13, now in Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, and uh, that's an understatement, we were far off. That's an understatement. Have been brought near, that's an understatement, how? By the propitiating, atoning, vicarious, sacrificial death of Christ, which expiated our sins, now we are brought near. Are well, you beginning to see the line of how this works, what God has done? Ah, nature by children of wrath. It was in Romans 5.10. I had the wrong reference. Sorry about that. I found it. <clears throat> You see, Romans 5.10 says, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God. When did this happen? 
It happened in the heart and mind and intention of God before the foundation of the world. And then it came into reality within a time creative context at the cross. Do we get it? You have two things. It has always been in the intention and heart and will and decree of God. Always. But it was put into a time or creative reality or context when? At the cross. We have to get both together. You see, because when Jesus, when we sinned, when Adam sinned, all of a sudden God, uh, what are we going to do now? This has always been in the intention of God. We're going to have to talk about uh, uh, the covenant of grace so we get a little bit of understanding of not differentiating covenant grace and law. There's a huge thing out there about grace and law. Law is this and grace is that. It's fooey. It's fooey. We need to understand that the covenant of grace has always been God's covenant, even to Moses, even in the law. It's always been what? Grace, grace, grace. Because the covenant of works has already been kept by a man. But we'll talk about that later. Getting ahead of myself. Therefore, you see, having our sins expiated because of the propitiating death of Jesus, we have now been declared as forgiven, justified. God now sees us, Romans 5.1, as having not sinned, as if we had not sinned. He treats us as if we had never sinned. He declares us what? Innocent? Not guilty. Justification means is a judicial declaration of not guilty. Because a person is found not guilty in court, does that mean he's innocent? Can you, what? Well, of course not. But what it means is the law has nothing else to do with him as far as that crime is concerned. Correct? This is what God has done at the cross. We're justified, having been justified by faith, having received and embraced Christ and his work by faith. We're justified. We're forgiven. But you see, we didn't get forgiven when we received Jesus, did we? When did we get forgiven? At the cross, at the cross where I first saw the light. Alice, that's when you were forgiven, at the cross. You just found out about it when you got saved. Carol, you were forgiven at the cross. You were in Jesus, and God says, Carol's forgiven. Sissy, you were saved when and forgiven when? Wendy, when? Clara, when? Steve, when? When, 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 everybody? You see, we would say, oh, I was forgiven when I was saved. Pooey, I understand what you mean, but don't talk like that. It's not correct. When were you forgiven, Donnie? At the cross. Barry, when were you forgiven? At the cross. Kirk? At the cross. Are we getting it? Mary, when were you forgiven? Harold, when were you forgiven? At the cross. 
the mighty cross of Christ. That's when all my sins, as to their guilt, were washed away forever. Never to come back. Paul says, condemn them in the death of Christ at the cross. So you see, in reconciling himself to us because of propitiation, expiation, God has now lifted us up out of the bondage that we were in into the freedom of fellowship. And fourth, redemption. <clears throat> Jesus has paid the price for our sonship. <sighs> Jesus did not pay the price to Satan. How many have heard that, that Jesus paid the price to Satan? How many have heard that? You've not heard that teaching? JDS, Jesus died spiritually? That Satan had to have his price paid? You see, God has incarcerated us all under sin. Am I right? Do you know what incarceration means? He puts you in jail. God is the one who has done that. Satan may be the jail keeper, you know, kind of get do this, do that, and do that. You know, the, the guy in charge of the jail. But in order to be released from the jail, you have to pay the one who has sentenced you to jail. And God's law sentenced us to jail. Therefore, the lawgiver himself, having kept the law completely and absolutely perfectly, on our behalf as if we had never sinned having kept it in him through his spilt blood he pays the price what is the price what is the price death wrath he paid it all it's all been paid all of it has been paid we have been purchased now because of the death of Jesus, the purchase price being the shedding of his blood, which has to do with the averting of the wrath of God, which has to do with him taking upon himself and experiencing that which, that justice and the wrath and the punishment that we deserve, he paid it. Therefore, the payment has been made once and for all. Ain't no more sacrificing of Jesus, honey child. It's demonic. It's demonic. It's not just bad teaching, it's demon teaching. You read some of these epistles and see what these apostles say about bad teaching. And Paul is rough in Galatians. Ooh, he's rough if you understand a couple of the things that he's really saying. Huh. That would be fun to teach that lesson. First Peter. You were ransomed not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. Ransomed from what? From our bondage to sin and Satan. What does Colossians 1.13 say? Somebody, you should know what 1.13 says. We have been, what? We have delivered from what? The kingdom of darkness, Satan. And we have been transferred, transferred into the kingdom of God's beloved Son. We've been purchased out of the incarceration, the sin's cell. 
But too many believers are still living as if you're still in sin's cell, obeying sin's master, Satan. So when Satan says, sin, yes, sir. When Satan says, be afraid, yes, sir. When Satan says, be jealous, yes. When Satan says, hey, yes. It's time to begin in these areas to walk out of the unlocked cell door. But you could go back in and live if you want to. But why put yourself under that mastery? You can come out at any time. But before the door was unlocked through the blood of Jesus, could you have decided to come out? Could you have decided on your own to come out? Could you or not? No. You see, this is why the issue of free will, deciding for Jesus, therefore he decides for me, that is given to man first to make the decision, and God knows that we'll make it or what we'll do. Therefore he saved. This is why it's preposterous. I'm ready to come out of the jail Mr. Judge, so here I come because I have decided to come out. And the judge seeing, oh, he decided to come out. I'll unlock the door. It's foolishness. Only the judge decides. Only the judge decides. Only the judge decides. And he decides who when, where, how. Why? He's the creator judge. We are not. We are not. So we've been set free. And really, I think 1 Corinthians 1, 9, 1, 9 in my mind, in my mind, this is just me, in my mind, 1 Corinthians 1, 9 encapsulates what is happening. I think it brings it all to such a wonderful conclusion, such a comprehensive statement. <clears throat> what is all this about? For God is faithful, who has called us into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ. All of this so that we could have eternal fellowship with the Godhead. Amen? So what are the four issues of sin that have been dealt with at the cross? Propitiation, expiation, reconciliation, redemption. Amen? Next week, I think we'll start reading the account of the cross.